Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. Have you noticed how hard it is to live in the present? If you haven't, maybe you're just comatose. But listen, have you really thought about how hard that is, discovered how difficult it is to really live in the present moment? And have you noticed, if you have noticed that, how your attitude and your focus play into why it's so hard to do that? I really like the fall. I love the fall here. I always used to love the, f- the autumn in England. Here it's referred to as the fall. It's also called autumn. But when I came here, I realized, wow, in New England, the fall is really amazing. Because you get, in England, we tend to get brown and some yellow leaves. But here, you get all these vivid colors. And um, you get the bright, crisp mornings. You get the cooler evenings. I just love the fall, and I think it's my favorite season here. But what I find is when the fall comes, that may be my initial reaction, but after a little while, I find myself looking back and kind of wishing it was still summer. You know, I miss the warmth. I miss the longer days and the lighter nights. And perhaps it's because in the fall I know what's coming. Um, And when winter kicks in, again, because I grew up in southern England where, you know, we get very little snow. I mean, we used to have this kind of mythological kind of like uh, celebration about the winter of 63 when we had two feet of snow, you know. We were always looking back to that because we never really got much snow. Come to northern New England and find out, hey, this is just par for the course, right? This is the way it is. And um, when the snow falls, still, after all these years, I love that initial snowfall. Because when you see that, the landscape suddenly becomes pure white. Um, And when the sun shines on it, everything just gleams. It's like amazing. And that's usually my reaction to every significant snowfall when winter hits. But very quickly... What I find is when the temperatures continue to drop and more snow continues to fall, that I no longer really appreciate winter the way I did it to begin with. And I find myself beginning, truth here, to complain about the cold and longing. And the older I get, the more I complain about it. And I find myself beginning to wish for the warmth of the spring and visions of Italy and Costa Rica and other warm places come to mind. And, uh, and when spring comes along and the brown landscape, once all the snow is melted, uh, which is the after effect of winter, it suddenly begins to turn green again. And it's like, wow, this is really cool. And the trees and the flowers begin to bud and life begins to reemerge. And I feel so much better. It's like in my spirit, ah, yes. 
Winter is gone. The winter of our discontent, quote Shakespeare, is behind us. And now we're into the spring. But I'll tell you this, if spring, if we get a lot of rain in the spring, like we did this spring, and it gets muddy, and it doesn't get warm enough soon enough for my liking, then what I find myself doing is quickly forgetting about the beauty of spring and wanting it to be summer. Now, that's just me. You may be able to relate to that. You may not. The reality is, though, we so easily get distracted from and dissatisfied with the season that we are in and wish we were in another one. When, when we do this in life, our self-talk is something like this. I wish school was over. I wish I was out of college. I wish I was married. I wish I was doing something else. I wish this difficulty I'm going through was over. I wish I lived somewhere else. I wish, I wish, I wish. And to add to that, there's another dynamic that kind of kicks in and makes living in the present really hard. And it's what Henry Nouwen calls the oughts and the ifs. And I want to talk about this for a moment. The oughts and the ifs. And he says, these oughts and ifs keep harassing us by getting us to focus on the past with guilt and the future with worries. The oughts and the ifs. Look, stuff happens in our lives, right? Stuff happens. And much of that stuff that happens in our lives, when we reflect on it, makes us feel uneasy. There are things that we're disappointed about in life. There are things that we regret. There are things that cause us to be downright angry. There are things that confuse us and perplex us. And there are things that just leave us feeling ambivalent. So often these things are accompanied by guilt. The kind of guilt that says something like this. You ought to have done something different. You ought to have said something different. You ought to have made a different decision than the one that you made. Nowen says, quote, These oughts keep us feeling guilty about the past and prevent us from being fully present to the moment. He goes on to say that worse than the guilt that comes with the oughts is the worry that comes with the ifs. Worries can fill our lives with what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if the business I started fails? What if the relationship I'm in ends? What if I lose my spouse? What if the economy tanks? What if? What if? What if? The ifs can so dominate our thinking that we become 
blind, blind to the blessings, the opportunities, and the provisions that are right in front of us. And also blind to the needs of others that God may want us to meet. Now one says the oughts and the ifs are the real enemies of our lives. And he puts it together this way. And they pull us backward into the unalterable past. You can't do anything about the past. God can, but you can't. They pull us back into the unalterable past and forward into the unpredictable future. We do not know what's coming. We know the end of the story, but we do not know what's coming tomorrow. But real life takes place, he says, in the here and now. God is the God of the present. God is always in the moment. Be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. He goes on to point out that whenever Jesus spoke about God, he spoke about him being where and when we are. Think about it. Jesus said, when you see me, you see God. When you hear me, you hear God. And finally, now and says this, God is not someone who was or will be, but one who is, and one who is for me in the present moment. Now, you might be going to Revelation 1, 8, if you're well-schooled in the scriptures and thinking, didn't Jesus say, I'm Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and is to come? Yes, he did. Who is? The emphasis there is on the fact that God is the eternal is, and he's referring to himself first, notice, not as the God who was, but first as the God who is. Alpha and Omega, the God who is and who was and who is to come. In other words, conveying to us in a way that we can understand because we're so limited and confined to time and space and living in that continuum that he is a God that is within it and beyond it. But he is the eternal is. Now he's right. God is someone who is not someone who was or will be. He is the one who is and who is there for me, for you in the present moment. In Jesus, God came to deal with the burden of our past, didn't he? And the anxiety-inducing worries of the future. That's what worries do. They induce anxiety in us. More than that, God wants us to discover him right where we are here and now. In whatever that season might be. God doesn't want you to wait until another season comes before you discover who he is. He wants you to make that discovery now in the season you're in, in the moment you're in. So the practical question then becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we live real life, to use Nowen's phrase, the life of abundance that Jesus said he came to give us, John 10.10. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. How do we live that life in the now? How do we get the fullness that Jesus talked about out of every present moment? You may think that's unrealistic. I don't believe it is. 
Now, I haven't achieved that. Long way from it. But that's the aspiration of my heart, and I believe that that's what's available to us in our relationship with God and what the Scriptures actually teach. So I want to try and answer that question the best I can this morning in a practical way by looking at some things in the life of Paul, the great apostle, that exemplify this reality of living in the present moment. They're found in a, a book of Philippians, a short passage. It'll be familiar to a lot of you. It's in Philippians 3. I'm just going to read it right now. It says this, Not that I have already obtained all of this or, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what does this passage tell us about how Paul lived real life in the present and, and how can we do the same? The first thing I want you to see that I believe is true in this passage in, in Paul's life and so important for us to do is identify the season you are in. Go right ahead and identify the season that you are in with God in life. This is so important if we're going to live in the present. Ident identify the season you are in rather than the season you would like to be in. Paul did just that. You know, Philippians is one of the letters Paul wrote from prison. He wrote this letter probably while he was imprisoned in Rome. Now, you may be thinking, well, how hard is that? How hard is that to identify the season you're in when you're rotting in a stinking, dark prison? Isn't it kind of obvious? Yeah, it's obvious to you. It was obvious to Paul. But I want to say this to you and ask you to think about this this morning. Identifying the season you're in goes beyond simply recognizing the conditions and the location. There's something bigger in play when we identify the season we're in. Yes, Paul got it. He understood he was incarcerated. That was a no-brainer. But he identified this season of confinement as more than just the result of Roman persecution. He identified this season of confinement as a God-given opportunity for internal expansion and a God-orchestrated season to experience and express joy. This letter to the Philippians is often referred to as the epistle of joy because joy is really the central theme in this letter. How interesting is that, that God gives us the epistle of joy from the pen of a man who's in prison? Paul drives this on when he says this in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Here he is in this prison. He doesn't know if he's ever getting out. He doesn't know if execution is coming. He does not know the unpredictable future. But he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. 
I say it again, rejoice. For me, I so often want the circumstances, the situation, and the season to change before God can get from me the kind of rejoicing, joyous response that Paul so readily gave. To identify the season you're in with God is to recognize that every season you are in is one orchestrated by God. He's not a part of your life sometime. He's not orchestrating seasons for you here and there. He's not an ad hoc God. He is with you all the time and every season you're in is orchestrated by the God that is your God. And as such, therefore, if you accept that premise that every season is orchestrated by God in your life as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, then the corollary follows, and it's this, that every season is an opportunity to experience Him and everything He has for you in that season, whether that season means prison or something very different. Paul did just that because he ministered to others while he was in the prison. He wrote letters while he was in that prison, this letter to the Christians in Philippi encouraged them and edified them, but for the last two millennia, that same letter has encouraged and edified and built up and instructed Christians all over the globe and will continue to do so until Jesus comes again. But let me ask you this. What would have happened if Paul didn't identify the season that he was in? What would have happened then? What would have happened if he spent his time looking back to the past and thinking and hankering after church planting with Barnabas and others and Silas? What about if he spent all his time looking back? What about if he conversely spent his time looking forward thinking, I can't wait to get out of this hellhole. And spent all his time thinking about that and yearning for that and looking for that. Well, of course, I don't know the answer to exactly what would have happened. But let me put up a couple of possibilities. One is, at the very least, at the very least, he would have missed what God was doing with him and intended to do through him in the present. Because he would have been so preoccupied with the past or the future. And here's another thing that may have happened. Perhaps it would have gone further and he would have become self-obsessed, lost focus on God's purpose in the appointed season, ignored the grace of God's presence, and landed up being dissatisfied. God, why have you done this? Why have you put me here? And on and on it goes. I want to say this to you. That's the kind of reaction that will come from us if we don't identify the season we're in with God in life. If we're always wanting another season than the one we're in, it means, quite frankly, that we have not identified the season to which God has called us in the present. And if we don't identify the season to which God has called us, we will not appreciate it. And if we do not appreciate it, we will not glean from it everything that we could do and that God intends for us. 
And you know what else will happen? We will land up, and listen to me here because I believe this is true. I know I've done this in my own life. We will land up snubbing the significance of where we are and what it is God has called us to in the now. We will snub that. So it is so important, first, to identify the season that you are in. Secondly, be patient. Be patient. Now, I really struggle with this one. I mean, I struggle with a lot of the fruits of the Spirit. But this one is a problem for me. You know, the fruit on my spirit tree is not particularly big when it comes to this particular one. But patience is the key to living in the present. Because when we get impatient, and I can speak with authority on this one, when we get impatient, it drains our capacity to wait on God. That's what it does. And the truth is, God is in the waiting. The Bible is replete with stories of men and women who were called to be patient and wait on God. From Moses to Hannah, from Ruth to Job, from Simeon to John as well as all those unnamed heroes in the second half of the book of Acts, the ones we don't tend to focus on, who are unnamed, who had to wait and never received the promise. How do you like them apples? And then Jesus. Jesus spent 30 years waiting before he could announce and inaugurate his public ministry and proclaim and demonstrate who he was to the world. Patience and waiting are an integral part of what it means to grow up in God and journey with Him. Being patient means waiting for God, but it also means discerning that there is a process to spiritual growth and learning to depend on Him in the moment. Spiritual growth is a process. It's not an instantaneous reality, is it? We come to Jesus in a moment. But our sanctification is a lifelong process, right? Of becoming more like Jesus and of growing up into him. Again, Paul understood the importance of patience. He told the believers in Philippi, in the text we read, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Implied in that statement is a recognition that there is a process all ongoing and I haven't arrived. He understood even after his years of serving God, of preaching the gospel, of planting churches, of providing apostolic leadership, that he hadn't obtained yet the level of intimate experiential knowledge of Jesus that he desired. There was more and Paul knew it and he wanted it. He knew that the process of growth was still ongoing in his life. But he was patient with the process as it unfolded. So he could appreciate each moment as being a moment that contributed to his ongoing maturation, his maturity, his growth in God. The same is true for you and for me. To be patient is not wasteful. Now, this is the thing I struggle with. To be patient is not wasteful. It's a fruit of the Spirit. 
Okay? It's not wasteful. Patience is an investment in your ongoing growth. It's part of the process of growth. Understanding this will enable you to embrace the season you are in and learn to be present to God in each moment within that season. Instead of like, nah, I got to get on to the... No, you don't. Be patient. Wait with God. It, look, it's like learning to play a musical instrument. I don't play any musical, musical instruments, but I know this. Playing a musical instrument or developing a skill of some kind or developing an athletic ability, all of these things involve a process of practice, of patience, and of development. None of these things come instantaneously. Initially, you may not sound too good. You may not be a too adept at whatever the skill is you're trying to learn. And you may not be able to run too far if you're an athlete. But you recognize that each moment of practice is relevant to the process of perfecting that ability or that skill. This is how it is when we think about living in the present with God. Okay, here's the third thing. And the third thing, and I'm trying to keep these practical this morning. The third thing is something that you may think, well, that's kind of contradictory uh, to the call to be patient, but it really isn't. The third thing is this, be active. Okay? Identify the season you're in. Be patient, but be active while you're patient. Patience does not mean be passive. God calls us to action. You cannot read the Gospels, save the rest of the New Testament, just the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus and what he taught and what he demonstrated without realizing we're called to action. If you're going to live real life in the present, you must be active. You must be. You may rationalize passivity, but if you're going to live real life, the kind of abundant life that Jesus has promised in the moment, in the now, in the present, you need to be active. You must be active. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this. It means doing the work of today, today. Not doing the work of tomorrow, today. It means doing what it is that God has placed into your hands to do. Whatever that is in any sphere of your life, doing that today. Today. Not doing what God has called you to do tomorrow, today. It also means not looking back to yesterday or looking forward to tomorrow. It means being focused on today. Living in the present with God means doing what God has entrusted to you today. Now, deciding what those things are has everything to do with the way God has shaped you, uh, the way that God has formed you, the gifts he's given to you, the capacity that you have and that we all have to discern through the Holy Spirit. It also has to do with God's placement of your life. There are lots of factors that feed into that. 
Now, to decide what those things are, a good practical first step I'm going to suggest is this. Get before the Lord and ask yourself before the Lord, what are the things in my life that I should be working on now? Now, that's not rocket science. Get before God and say, Lord, what are the things, you're speaking to yourself as well as putting this before the Lord, that I should be working on in my life now? Perhaps God is calling you to work on things through His grace and by the power of His Spirit so that you can be more fully the kind of husband or wife or son, or daughter, or brother, or sister, or friend, or colleague, or servant that he wants you to be. The point is this, we are to be actively engaged in becoming who we are in Christ in every sphere of our life. It may also be that you are called to be something that currently you are not. Last week, Chad was talking to us about God being, as Paul says in Romans, the God who calls those things that are not as though they were, right? As though they are. It may be that God is calling you into something and to be something that you currently are not. So again, ask yourself before the Lord, if you're getting that sense that God may be calling you into something, you're not sure, what can I do in the present to become the person you're calling to me to be then. I want to go back to Paul again. Paul did just that. He was patiently waiting on God while he was imprisoned in Rome, but he was not passive. He was not inactive. He didn't just sit there and wait for whatever was going to come down the pike to come down the pike, whether that was his death or his release. He was actively ministering. Writing those letters, ministering to others. As we mentioned earlier, he was confined physically, living in difficult conditions, but Paul was not confined spiritually. In every season of Paul's life, including his imprisonment, he was active becoming the person God called him to be and doing the things that the Lord entrusted to him. Now, I don't believe that that was kind of some unique formulation for Paul because he was an apostle. I believe that that's normative for all of us. I believe that Paul was providing for us a model, a paradigm of how we live and how we can live. Now, you and I are unlikely to find ourselves in a prison cell. Although I have to say, just parenthetically, I was going to mention this this morning. You know how it is, I'm just taking a little parenthesis here. You know how it is when you're about to do something in life, or as I get to do quite a bit, you're about to preach. God has a way of giving you lessons that you don't see coming. And so I'm, this whole thing about living in the present moment, I'm like, put this message together this week. I'm like, this rocks! And I'm really ready for this message. I'm ready to preach it, ready to deliver it. I'm ready to kind of embrace it in my own life by God's grace. And so... Yeah, be present to the moment, Mario. So I'm driving home from the office on Friday, probably about 4.20, 4.30, and the way I drove, drive home, because I live on the other side of Gorham, so kind of like on the 114 side heading out to uh, Scarborough. So I, the, the way I typically come and go is I, I come down the road here, I head off 
um, down East Bridge Street, and I uh, go into Main Street on Westbrook, and then over to, uh, it's not Hawthorne, what is it, what's the other, uh, it's not Hawthorne Road, it's the other guy, literary, American literature, come on, somebody, Longfellow, yeah, it's Longfellow, it's Longfellow, thank you, Chad. So I go on the Longfellow, and then I snake up there, and eventually get on Day Road, that's the way I go home. So I just told you how I come and go to the office, I know you wanted to know that. So anyway, I'm, I'm going along Longfellow, and uh, the sun is shining, that spring feeling is, yeah, is great. <laughs> Driving home, and I get to this point, there's kind of a, there's a little bit of a, a decline. You go down, you come up, and then there's kind of a straighten away. And along the road there, all kinds of people that live off to the right have their mailboxes right on the road, you know, like they're pretty much almost sticking out into the road. By the way, I'm going to just say this parenthetically. I'm putting this all down to jet lag because I went to England and came back quickly, right? <laughs> That's my excuse. So I'm driving, and there's a woman in front of me on a bike, and she's got this, like, it was almost like a sidecar behind her on the bike, this big thing, like, sticking out on the bike, and she's driving, and I can't kind of see too much beyond that, so that's another kind of excuse there. So she pulls, she indicates she's pulling in. I'm pretty close behind her, so I, I hit the gas, I hit the, not the gas, the brake. I hit the brake. I did eventually hit the gas, but I hit the brake. And uh, she turns in, and as she turned in, like you are, instead of being present to the moment, I was thinking about all kinds of other stuff floating around in my head, and I started I looked away like this. I started looking at her as she drove into her driveway. And the next, and then when I, and I was thinking of something, I looked back like this, and the next thing I knew, man, I smacked into that mailbox. But I saw it, I grabbed the wheel, hit the mailbox, my right wing mirror, the glass popped out, I had the window down, it flew up by my head, hit the roof of the car, went down by my feet, I turned the wheel hard that way, looked, make sure no one was coming. I'm on the other side of the road. Then I yanked it back again. And by the time I yanked it back again, I was going full bore, dead center for another mailbox. And I slammed on the brake, and this is no hyperbole. I, I stopped inches from that mailbox. And I'm like, present to the moment? I, I hope that that somehow helped. But I had to tell that story. It was like, it was almost like the Lord saying to me, illustration? Let me give you an illustration of the importance of being present to the moment. Right, the last thing I want to just say is this. Be aware of God's presence, okay? And take hold of the present moment. Not like the way I did on Friday. Take hold of the present moment. Because, you know, we don't live in the past, and we don't live in the future. We have a past, and we have an awesome future, but we live in the present. We live in the now. And it's in the present moment that God makes his presence known to us. Now, if you've been in God at any time at all, you have a history with him, so you know God has been present to you in the past. And because of the faithfulness of God and the authority of the scriptures and your destiny in God, you know God is going to be more than present to you in the future. But that's not where you live. You live in the now. And God makes his presence known to us in the present moment. Now, let me just say this in case some people think I'm, I'm kind of like, 
exaggerating the importance about living in the present. I'm not saying don't appreciate the good from the past. And I'm not saying don't anticipate the good of the future. We should do both. But what I'm saying is, to use Nouwen's phrase, real life, authentic life, abundant life, is something that we experience in the present with the one who is the present one as he makes his presence known to us. And we know that he's always going to be present because he's promised that. And God doesn't break his promises. You may have heard me refer, and guys that were in E3, or if you've done reading, uh, church history and the like, you may be familiar with this character I've mentioned before. We've even used the book I'm going to refer to now in one of our life groups. But Brother Lawrence was a 17th century Carmelite monk. And he served as a lay brother in the Carmelite monastery in Paris. And Paris was then, as it is now, a very turbulent kind of place. And he was assigned the busy monastery kitchen. That was his gig. That's what he did. He worked in the busy monastery kitchen kitchen. He had to deal with the tedious work associated with that, not just all of the cooking, but the chores, the cleaning, and the constant demands of his superiors for this and that and whatever. And out of that came a whole series of maxims and teachings that were compiled into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And in that, he says this, think often on God by day, by night. In your business, when you're going about the working world, in your business, and even in your diversions, okay? When you're relaxing, when you're on the golf course, when you're swimming, when you're whatever. He is always near with you. Leave him not alone. That's an interesting phrase. He is always near with you. He will never leave you alone, in other words, is what he's saying. But don't you leave him alone. Don't ignore that God is present with you and to you. Be aware that he is there. It was in the context of that city, that turbulent city in Paris, and that busy kitchen that Brother Lawrence developed a, uh, his rule, what was referred to as his rule for spirituality and work. And it all centered on developing an awareness of God's presence at all times. What he learned was that to be aware of God in every season and in every circumstance, even those seasons and circumstances that seemed least conducive, and actually especially in those circumstances that seemed least conducive to being aware of God, like the commotion of uh, a noise of a major city or the hustle and bustle of a, 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 of a uh, busy kitchen, he needed to be intentional about that reality. He needed to practice it. When you practice something, you are intentional about doing so. As he practiced being aware of God in the present moment, whatever that moment looked like, he entered intentionally by faith and by the grace of God into intimacy with the Lord. And he cultivated an intimacy with the Lord whatever the season was that he was in. 
And he referred to that as a continual conversation with God. And I actually believe that we can aspire to and realize a continuous conversation with the Lord. And that doesn't mean we're shut away in our room on our knees praying. It means that in our spirit, we are cultivating an awareness of God's presence and we are entering into that by faith in the enabling of God's grace. He said this, I cannot imagine how religious persons, and when he uses religious here, he's, he's using that in a positive way. Okay, He's referring to this. You may, you may want to think of that in terms of, I can't imagine how a genuinely spiritual person can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, he says, I keep myself retired with him. Kind of an anachronistic way of saying that. But in other words, I keep myself in God's space kind of thing. Um, in the depth and center of my soul as much as I can. Now, we obviously didn't have a perfect track record. I'm sure there are times when he was in that kitchen where he thought, well, help me out, God. Where are you? But he said, as much as I can, this is what I try to do. And he said, while I'm with him, I fear nothing. <coughs> I just want to say this to you as we come to the end this morning. We need to be aware that God is present to us in the season that is now. And as Lawrence did, we need to cultivate by faith, taking hold of that and increasing awareness all too often, though, I know for me, and I'm sure you may be able to relate to this in some ways as well, we are too busy looking back at the season that was. And we want the good old days, or we want whatever the blessing was in the past, or something. Or we're looking forward to the amazing blessings that are coming in the future. And we're focused on that. And we devise eschatologies about the end times that preoccupy us with the future. But where is God in the present? Where is he daily in my working reality with the people I'm around? Where is he in the present, in the neighborhood where I live? My neighbors next to me, right and left, in front, behind. Where, where is he in the relationships I have in my family, the friendships I have? Where, where is he in the now? God is ready to be experienced here and now. I want to say this lastly about Paul. Paul exemplified the life of one who did not allow the past or the future to dull him to the awareness of God's presence. He did not allow the past or the future to dull him to the awareness of God's presence. And furthermore, he did not allow the triumphs and the tragedies of the past or the goals and the glories of the future to deflect him from living in the present. He understood what Jean-Pierre Cordaud said when he said he referred to or talked about the sacrament of the present moment. That there is something sacred about every present moment given that we are in relationship with God. Paul put it this way, and we read this earlier, but I want to end with this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Do you think he didn't appreciate what God did in the past? He sure did. But he wasn't going to live there. Forgetting what is behind and straining 
to what is ahead. He was looking forward to it. He knew there was a goal. He knew there was a destiny. He was going to strain for that. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The two key phrases for purposes of what we're talking about this morning are take hold and press on. Because both of those speak to present realities. If I give you something, if I give you this Bible this morning and you take it, it's something you are doing. You take hold of it in the present moment. If you press on, that infers you're going to do something now and in the future that you did in the past. You're going to continue. You're going to press on in the present. And Paul gives us this example from his life for how we can live too. So I just say to you, be intentional. Be intentional about taking hold of that for which God has taken hold of you. I don't know what God's taken hold of you for in specific terms. God will make that clear to you. You have a relationship with him. But whatever it is he's taken hold of you for, you take hold of that. And then don't just take hold of it. Press on in it. Press on to what God has called you to. Persevere. Be purposeful. But be aware of his presence with you in it. Look, the issue is not what God has called you to or who God has called you to be in relationship to this life of living in the present moment. The issue is, you know the old rhyme, it goes something like... Um, you know, I, I, it's a line out of some rhyme I, I remember from when I was a kid. You can be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. It, it doesn't really matter what God has called you to do. Of course, it matters to you and it matters to God. But ultimately, in relationship to living in the present moment, it's not who you are or what God's called you to do. It's taking hold of it and pressing on in it. So, here it is to end the message. How do we live life in the present following Jesus? Well, we at least, it's at least some of this. I'm not saying this is a definitive answer, but identify the season you're in. Be patient. There's a process. Be active, be engaged, don't be passive. And be aware that God's presence is there with you. You're not in this alone. And take hold of whatever that moment is, that season, and move forward. And let go of the oughts and the ifs. Don't let the past mire you down in guilt. And don't let the future prevent you from moving forward because you're paralyzed with anxiety and fear.